Yo, 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 we bike. What's going on, y'all? Um, it's me, Rajon Lewis. I always tell y'all this every week because some of y'all don't know me, and I, I know that you know. After what 136 episodes, you'd think that people know who I am, but they don't because the internet's a very big place, and I'm just one person with a very small podcast. But I have fun doing it, and tonight we're gonna have more fun. We're interviewing Miss. Oh, I didn't even get the pronouncing her pronunciation. I'm gonna try it. All right, so you you the backstage, so I see you. Um, is it Juana Brockington? Ah, yes, Juana Brockington. Yes. Okay. Cool. So I have Miss Juana Brockington. She's my guest for tonight. I'm really excited about interviewing her. Um, literature, man. Getting into talking about this about writing, and and women's empowerment through writing. I mean, I'm excited. I love it. Um, and I'm I'm just ready to talk to her. So. Let's not let's not delay the time. Belabor the time, as they say in the church. Let's do it. Another week, and we still here. So I want to say hello, world, and welcome back to Real Talk with Rajon, but nothing's off limits. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you are here with me, and I appreciate that. I am your host, Rajon Lewis. Now, here on Real Talk with Rajon, everything's debatable, so on any given week, we could be discussing anything from sports to music to politics. You name it, we'll discuss it. Now, for those who are new to the show, Real Talk with Rajon has a goal of shining a light on the great things and the great people that exist right here in the Low Country and beyond. And tonight, I have the distinct honor and privilege to interview an author, woman's empowerment speaker, and soon to be on your bestseller list, Miss Juana Brockington. And I got the pronunciation correct? Duana D. Duana. Hard D on there. Yes. Duana. I like that. That has like a, has like a, you know, like an Afrobeat feel to it. Joanna, yes. <laughs> There's a song called Joanna that we like a lot. Me and my wife says, Joanna, Jo, Jo, Joanna. But you're Doana. Doana. See? Hey. All right. So thank you so much for joining us. Please introduce yourself to the audience. I'm Duana Brockington. I am a writer. I am currently a nonprofit um, refugee. <laughs> yeah like i've stepped away from the nonprofit world for a little bit to just work on my creative thing and i'm really in the periphery doing some uh consulting and grant writing for folks but it's not my full-time gig right now so Mm. yeah grant writer you say yes later <laughs> Your stuff. All right, cool. So let's let's talk. Let's let's go all the way back. We like to start from the background and work our okay. way to the day. So tell us about little Duana. What did what was little Duana like? What what did she want to do when she grew up? Tell me about her. So she is the oldest of five, mm-hmm. and she wanted to go to law school when she mm. grew up. She was gonna um, lobby for women and children. 
and instead went to University of South Carolina and graduated in three and a half years, only because her advisor told her to slow down. She was going to graduate in three and hit law school, got married, did all the responsible things, um, got divorced, moved back to the Chuck with a little one, and just really um, embedded herself as she became big girl <laughs> mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. in Charleston and in the nonprofit and social services space. Nice. But during all of that, she had this desire to write. And so around 30, um, 35, close to 40, I just said, you know what, I'm doing this and started pinning short stories. And now I'm writing. Wow. That's that's amazing. That's something to be proud of. That's quite a story already. So. All right, so let's let's go back through it because you because you, you went through a few phases. So you went to University of South Carolina. So you're from Charleston. What part of Charleston are you from? I'm actually from Goose Creek. Go Gators. Uh, okay, so you're not from Charleston. So <laughs> no. Right. So okay, so, <laughs> I was born I was born in D.C. Okay. When my mom is was born and raised here in Charleston, and back when she finished high school when I'm, I'm a little bit older than you are with John. And so little bit, little bit. my, my mom um, went to DC to go to secretarial school. Ooh. And so she ended up working for the government and this was the late sixties, early seventies. So yeah. she was stockinged up. She was in heels every day. She was wearing gloves and the little fancy pillbox hats and all the things. Um, and met my dad. They had four kids together. And in the late 70s, early 80s, they split. And my mom was like, I'm not going to raise my kids here. I'm going to go back to Charleston with my family. And so mm-hmm. she landed in Goose Creek and uh, was a government employee. And so was able to furlough until there was an opening for her at the Charleston Naval Shipyard. Oh, so wow. this is like 1981. And right <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I, was, do do that? I don't know. <laughs> I was 13. I was, I'm your birth year. I was like a teenager. Yeah, it's, all, it's all good though. <laughs> whoop, whoop, 81, 81, 81. <laughs> yeah. So I was heading to high school. She bought a house in Goose Creek and that's where she continued to raise us around family. We have, uh, like I said, all my families here. Um, and so Goose Creek for all intents and purposes is my home. Now, I currently live in Mount Plastic, as my bestie likes to say, but Ooh. Goose Creek is my house, my my space. So, so you, you live in gentrification it. nation. Ooh, dude. <laughs> like, so that's a whole. That's a whole thing. That's a whole thing and a whole <laughs> other show. Like, I so. If, if you were you were a baby, so you wouldn't know, but Goose Creek in the 80s was very diverse. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about this black and white diversity that um, most people associate with Charleston. Right. Um, I went to school with folks from all walks of life mm. because of that naval base. And um, my stepdad, my, my stepdad and my mom got together. He was a 30 year Navy man. So, mm-hmm we had an array of exposures that I think um, certain areas of the South and particularly Charleston are missing these days. Like Goose Creek in the eighties and nineties doesn't look anything like Goose Creek now. Um, And so, you know, we got, I, my mom's best friend was Filipina. And so literally was forever stuffing my face with Filipino food, like all the Filipino parties, getting down with it um, and missing. And so I really miss a lot of that. And my kid, while my ex-husband's military, she didn't get that exposure because Mm -hmm. she was with me during the school year and with her dad during the summer. So summer camps, um, you know, don't always equate to that day in, day out of diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the way you, you the way you phrased that about the diversity. Um, I remember me and my daughter went to um, well, me and my family, me and my daughter didn't just go pick up and go with the rest of the family, <laughs> but me and my family went to Washington D.C. and we were in Walmart. Um, and my daughter was she was trying to find something, 
And so this lady had the Walmart smock on. So she went to walk up and say, excuse me, um, I'm trying to find this. And the lady turned around and she didn't speak any English. And, and she was so confused because she was like, that's a black lady, though. I was yeah. like, well, baby, chances are she's in Africa. She's, she's from somewhere in like on the continent of Africa. She speaks like an African diet. Like it's it's obvious that it's like not English and it's not Spanish. Right. So we're like, so she, I was like, they have international communities up here. Like they have, like they have like actual, like, like people, you know, you'll find like night people like literally from Nigeria, you'll find people from Botswana, people from all these different places, you know, all across the, across, all across the world up North and in the South, we consider diversity. Like, Oh, there's black people and white people to live here. Like, no, that's not, that's not diversity. <laughs> so <Not>. look, <laughs> my my ex was a thirty year army dude, and when what? my daughter, yeah, <laughs> when my and he was an intelligence officer, so he was stationed um, at the Pentagon, Defense Intelligence Agency, all the all the big places in the D.C. area. And for high school, part of our custody agreement was that he would get my daughter for high school. Mm-hmm. She went to a biotech high school. She too, like her mother, graduated in three years. Mm. When her graduation class was 350 of probably the most diverse kids. Like you said, we, she had UN kids. She had military kids. She yeah. had kids from just the city of Manassas. Uh-huh. Like it was like the UN yeah. at her graduation. And then she came back to Charleston to go to college of Charleston because of their theater program and mm. like hightailed it out of Charleston <laughs> as soon as she could after she got her degree and saved up some money. Went oh, to cool. Chicago. Yeah. So she's a cougar and <laughs> which we laugh about. Um, she's a cougar and but, you know, loves Charleston, but hates Charleston. Hey. <laughs> hey. So we struggle. I mean, we have some real, you know, Charleston. That's all. Dude, you could do a show for the rest of your life just on Charleston. Damn, like that's, but that's the crazy thing. Like that, if you never leave, you don't understand it. Right. And there's right. so many of us that never leave. And that's not to talk down on people who, you know, have never lived mm-hmm. anywhere else. But I was, I was in the army. Um, I was mm-hmm. in the army for six and a half years. And, you know, like, I, I mean, I didn't go very, well, I didn't go, I didn't go far stateside. Like, I, I, I was, I did my basic training in Oklahoma. So I went out there for that. But um, my AIT was in Fort Jackson, so Columbia. And then my first yeah. duty station was Columbia. And my last duty station was um, Fort Gordon in Augusta. But yeah. I got to spend a year in Camp Asalia, Qatar. For That was like, that life-changing thing for me. It was like, there's this whole big world out there that's like amazing and knows nothing about the little corner of the world that you're from. And mm-hmm. it's completely different. And it, it really does, like you said, it shapes, it really shapes, shapes your vision. So you moved from DC, you lived in DC until you were 13, you said 13 and you moved back 13. here, right? Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you as a child when you made that transition? So I remember crying, mm-hmm. um, leaving DC one, you know, we were leaving our dad. That's where he was. Yeah. And, but also South Carolina had always been a fun place to visit, but it was the country. Yeah. And it, you know, and then, and then, so not only are you, and we lived in the burbs of in, in Maryland. And so, but there were, you know, I, I grew up um, up to 13 our field trips were to national museums. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Smithsonian. Yeah. Like all of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, you go to Charleston, you go to the Charleston Museum? Like, nah. I mean, I went. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have gone uh, to say I've been. How about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, it's yeah. Different it's different. And, it's different. But I, I remember like, First, I couldn't understand anybody because that Gullah Geechee dialect. Yeah. And then also having a mother who went to secretarial school and was, they were still secretaries back then. They weren't right. administrative assistants. Mm-hmm. So she was correcting our diction. She was yeah. correcting our grammar. She was like, Kurt, my mother would make us redo our homework 
um, in cursive because she would be like, "If what's the point of writing it if no one can read it? So she was that kind of mama, like old yeah. school. And she absolutely forbade us to use Gullah Geechee slang. Mm. And because she was like, she didn't want us to be stigmatized because she had left Charleston, lived other places and come back. She, right. she, had, she felt she had to shed um, her ways. And you know, now my daughter is very much intent on bringing, um, getting back in touch with our Gullah Geechee oh, and really um, delving into that. And I do a lot of that. I talk a lot about that. Um, with my writing, my characters are connected. All of my stories are here in Charleston. Um, all of my stories are black women doing, you know, amazing things with deep family connections. Cause that's my story. Um, mm -hmm. When I got divorced, it wasn't even a consideration for me to do anything but come back home because yeah. this was where my roots were. These were, my supports were here. Um, I probably, if I'd really thought it through, I might have like gone to Charlotte. <laughs> but I, you know, when you're going through a divorce, you're just like, let me get home to my family. Yeah. And and that's what I did and reestablished roots with my kid. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. And I'm still here. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. So, so you, so you, so the other thing I wanted to harp on before we got to your writing, because I definitely want to spend a, a, a good bit of the interview talking about your writing, but you said you're a nonprofit refugee. We got to dig in there. I, oh. I got I to gotta know. You got to talk to me. What, what, does it, what does it mean? What does it mean to, to you? How, how does that work? So for my entire career, I have worked in social services and nonprofits, and I made a conscious decision um, actually in 2018 um, to step away from nonprofits full time, mm. but I wasn't ready. So sometimes you make a decision and you're not really ready. And I, there was an opportunity to work with a nonprofit that I love, um, YWCA of Greater Charleston, uh, headed, headed by LaVonda Brown. And so uh, she's got a new last name. I need to stop saying Brown. <laughs> Johnson. I still Brown is my phone. So if, you, if she Save. has a I need to know. Same. Um, but she needed some help part-time and doing women's empowerment. So that was something I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to be totally out of the nonprofit space. Um, so I came back after like a six month hiatus and had done some writing, just immersed myself, but came back, did the part-time thing. And then my bestie pulled me onto a board with her. And within, I would say six months to a year of me being on that board, the ED left. And mm -hmm. so having had ED experience, um, the board needed, they didn't, we didn't want a leadership vacuum. Right. Um, and so, and, and the org needed some shifting. And so I stepped in as interim, it was only supposed to be six months and it ended up being 16. Oh, wow. <laughs> so when I stepped down this January, um, I said that 2021, the rest of this year belongs to me in writing. And mm -hmm. so that's why I call myself a nonprofit refugee. But I'm not too far removed where, uh, like I said, I am doing some grant writing and uh, touching base with some folks. But it's not anything I'm going to be doing full time anytime yeah. soon because I really want to give myself an opportunity to grow my writing career. I love that. I love that. Um, that's probably something I probably need to talk about, talk with you about offline. Like I'm, I'm actually a, an ED of an organization as well, and it just so happens that I could use some guidance. Anyway, um, so yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I got you. I got. You. I got the whole thing now. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so that's that's really cool. Like when you said nonprofit refugee, I I'm relatively new to the nonprofit sector in terms of like you know doing the work. I mean, I've been in the nonprofit sector, I want to say since 2016. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll talk to you more about my story another time. It's about you. Uh, yeah. But yeah, but but I definitely can understand how you could experience burnout mm -hmm. from this thing. It can chew you up and spit you out. You know, especially if you're not you know conscious of work life balance. So yeah, that's all you. I saw you. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and that it's definitely that, um, but also the frustrations of people, especially here in Charleston, 
talking about the need for change, but where they put their money and how they fund. <laughs> Man, it's, you read my mind. So. It's more, it's, I'm going to give this because, you know, this is what I want to give to, but y'all are going to do explicitly X, Y, or Z with this, but that's not really going to have the impact that we need. So I'm, I'm frustrated. Like yeah. I'm frustrated. I'm angry. Um, wow. I'm not going to curse on your show, I but um, I have some, no, I feel that like that's amazing. Like just hearing that from you and to hear like with your experience level, there are so many people that, you know, I'm, I'm still, like I said, new enough in the game where I still work with a whole lot of grassroots organizations. And that's always the frustration is like these organizations are out here doing the work and because they're doing the work, they probably know what they're doing. But instead of being able to do that, they have to instead like acquiesce to what the things the funders want. The funders who aren't actually boots on the ground and understand what works. Mm -hmm. So, oh, you want us to count these widgets so that you can say, okay, we've counted, we've we've served 20,000 people, but we haven't been able to go deep because the things that we need to be able to go deep, you won't pay us to do. So we have to do these things that you will pay us to do. I'm, I'm sorry. I, you got me on my, my nonprofit soapbox. And I feel you. So I feel you. We were talking earlier before the show started about our mutual friend, Sam, yeah. and yeah. Sam will tell you the number of times I've called him like, bruh, <laughs> like if, like if they say this mess to me one more again, <laughs> and Sam is like, yep, yep, yep. I hear That's you, them. sis, calm down, <laughs> like, how can we approach this from a different way, and yeah. like, oh, so yeah, I, you know, I think, and, and this is the last thing I, you know, we can move on from nonprofits, oh, cool. but I feel like um, these, I say kids, look, I'm 54, so anybody younger than me gets yeah. to be a kid. I, got, um, I was a kid earlier, so I'm cool with it. <laughs> I, I think these kids coming up are not going to tolerate that. And um, for instance, I used to work for an organization that um, my mother, uh, when we came back, this organization was the organization that many people started with philanthropy with outside mm -hmm. of like their church. Okay. Um, and I'll just, I'll call it out. Try to United Way. And my mom used to give through their capital campaign. Well, if you've followed their history, the government doesn't do the capital campaigns anymore. And when I was working for them, my daughter literally said to me, why would I give my hard earned money to that organization to give to another organization when I could just give that the organization I want to give to? Yeah. And I was like, um, because <laughs> see what had happened was, <laughs> yeah. you know, and trying to really drill down for her what the impact could be with combined dollars and the whole nine. And she was like, yeah, but if I just give people money because they need it to do the job they need to do, I, uh, what do I need you for? And I was just like, all right, you know, <laughs> uh, okay. And that's what she does. She gives yeah. directly. She doesn't worry about, is she paying for operating funds or program yeah. funds? She's, you know, she just like, y'all need money. Here you go. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty excited that I, you know, she's moved into the nonprofit space. Much wow. to my like, but she, <laughs> she swears she's not going to be there for long. She's got a plan, which okay. she typically does. But um, I think that there is hope with the way that the millennials and the um, Gen Wires think about yeah. uh, nonprofits and giving an impact. And yeah. I think they have a better they have a better understanding of how to impact because they'll, they'll just be like, well, I'm not going to jump through your hoops. Yeah. I'm going to just go out here and I'm going to just figure it out with these $10 in my pocket and, yeah. <laughs> and parlay yeah. this into whatever it is I need to do. Yeah. So I, it'll be interesting to watch how the nonprofit landscape shifts, but Charleston will be a little slow to that. I predict. I, I want to <laughs> ask you this because this is a good topic um, in, in the vein of what we're talking about. In this age of activism, like new age activism, you see a lot of activists like diving into the nonprofit sector. Um, how do you see that impacting 
the the way the um the way this the growth of the Charleston nonprofit sector is working? Do you see it as a, a positive thing? Is there a negative? Because I have thoughts on that as well. But I'll let you talk. I go back and forth. I I feel like many times that we don't need another nonprofit. That there are plenty of nonprofits that have proven themselves to do the work. They are being hamstrung by the funders that yeah. have traditionally given them big monies. Yeah. Um, and I think in this crowdsourcing um, society that we now have, there's this shift happening. And again, it's taken Charleston a little longer. These young guys are like, I can put my message out here. I can show you, I can demonstrate. And I'll, what I'll use is during the, the civil unrest during um, June. Mm -hmm. And these guys were online using social media to raise money to bail people out of jail. Yep. Okay. Which was brilliant. Then we go, because I was still in the space, I'm sitting in some meetings and folks are like, well, I'm not sure about giving because they're not a 501c3 and blah, 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 but they're doing good work. So then it's also that hang up of these, these new people are cropping up and they're doing yeah. good work, but they don't have the seal of approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pay attention. Are people getting out of jail? <laughs> what the is the mission? Right. What is the what what do we say in the nonprofit sector? What is your mission? What is your mission? Are you accomplishing that mission? Can you prove that you're accomplishing that mission? Hello. <laughs> so don't make somebody jump through hoops for your twenty dollars. Do you know how yeah. long it will take them to get a five hundred one c three? They could have bailed twenty million people out of jail by that time. Yep. So yep. it's yeah. The like I said, I'm anticipating and looking forward to some change. And I think that the younger, the young, the young ones are going to really let us have it yeah. um, and call us out on it. And I think, and, yeah. and that's fine. We need to be the, because this system has lasted too long, especially here in Charleston, um, yeah. especially around education that I can get all wound up. Also, you know, around women, because women, women's empowerment is my thing. Yeah. Uh, you want to tell women that, you know, you've got to be able to take care of your family, but you hold them at $750 an hour. And we already know it takes $20 an hour to for an adult yeah. One. <laughs> to have a living wage here yeah. in Charleston. So that $15 that the feds are looking at would not even cut it here. Mm. We don't have affordable housing and 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 like don't get me started about transportation and how right. someone without their own car how long it takes them to get from xy you know from yeah. north charleston to mount pleasant to work at target for yep. 12 bucks an hour and then you want to say yeah <laughs> sorry i'm a, i am passionate but that's, about but that's but that's what had you in the game for as, as long as you yes. do. and that's also why the nonprofit sector sector will suck it out of you if you yeah. work at a for, you work at a, a private you know private sector job you know, your heart's not in it. In a nonprofit sector, chances are you're in it because your heart's in it. Yes. You pick the places that you work because those are things that you're passionate and you care about and you love and you want to see change. You yes. join boards for the same reason. And so it's hard to have that and then say, you know what? I'm just going to work from nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take lots of days off for vacation. <laughs> like, no, no. My time sits in my little thing and it accrues until they tell me I have use it or lose it. And then I was going to use what I can. But like that's that's what people who don't work in the nonprofit sector don't understand. Like right. they, they don't get how much of a person goes into that work. So yeah. I want to applaud you for the amount of work years oh, that you did, you know, you. working there. Because, I mean, I, like I said, I'm brand new to it. And I, I, I tell my wife all the time, this is the last thing that I want to do. I don't want to like I, I want to do this and probably run for office one day. Like, okay. but outside of that, like that's that's all I want is is to work in my nonprofit, help my boys and soon to be girls, and 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 just like run for office. And that's 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 it. I just that's all I want to do until I until I retire, and then decide and, and hire one of my boys that I've trained, one of my girls that I've trained to take over as executive director. Um, that's 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 what I look forward to. That that what you just said. Succession planning. Mm. 
So after leaving my interim um, gig as an ED, that has been on my mind. And if I do move back into the nonprofit space, it is going to be about succession planning because seldom is it a planned thing. Yeah. The ED either gets sick, gets fed up, God forbid, gets hit by a bus mm -hmm. or retires. And then the board's like, we need to <laughs> we you know, find somebody <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> who's out there. <laughs> so here's a thought. Let's create a succession plan so that we can and then pull it out when we need it. If the yeah. ED needs six, if the ED would like to take a six month sabbatical, because why don't we? Yeah. Um, if the ED needs to have surgery, what's the plan? Yeah. Like we pluck a random employee and say, okay, you're gonna be the interim, and here's all you know, hold it down until we get somebody else yeah. in. And the truth is, it can it doesn't have to be as chaotic as it often is. Mm -hmm. Um, and for those organizations that can afford a longer runway, that's great. But the truth is most of the organizations, most of the nonprofits are small and agile, um, but they could be without an ED for three to six months or a year um, or longer, depending on, you know, really what you're looking for and what you need. Yeah. So um, succession planning, I need, I would love to see more nonprofits in this area really make an effort at doing that so that we're not always caught with our pants down at the end of, you know, unexpected stuff happens. Yeah, absolutely. So. I could talk to you about nonprofit stuff yes. like forever. I <laughs> promise you I could. Cause like you, you, I feel like you get me and I, and I, and I love oh. when people get me, <laughs> um, but I want to make sure that we do talk about your writing because this is like your passion. This is what you're taking time away to work on. So let's start, let's start at the beginning. Like what got you into writing? Have you always been a writer? Is that something that you've always wanted to do? I have always been a writer. Um, I was, I remember, you know, being first, second grade, like writing, grab, asking my mom for paper and pen to just write stuff down. And I don't know what I would do with it. Third grade, you know, they have that writing contest and I wrote The Mysterious Horse. Came in, I did the illustrations myself and everything. I love that you know the title. <laughs> okay. I'm that geek. I'm going to just go ahead and, and say that. And um, and I I actually started USC as a journalism major. Wow. Okay. Okay. But got nervous because, again, my parents were of that mindset, get you a good government job. Mm -hmm. And Black women in journalism wasn't feeling... Um, yeah, making like, you know a lot of love. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and remember, this was again <clears throat> 80s. Um, and so I switched majors to, I became a history major for like one semester. And then I was like, nah, I'm going to just go ahead and go to law school and switch to government and international studies with a psych minor. And by the time I graduated, my ex um, also from Goose Creek went to the Citadel. So mm -hmm. when he graduated, he was already, he was two years ahead of me. And when I graduated, we got married on graduation day. Oh, wow. Um, wouldn't recommend that. No. Just FYI, threatened my daughter that I would strangle her if she did. Um, and then we went off to Texas. And so he was like, well, you know, you could apply to UT. They've got a great law school, blah, blah, blah. But I realized I had rushed through school and I was tired. And so I did what my mama told me. I got a good government job with the Texas Department of Human Services. Mm -hmm. And literally that was the start of my 20 some odd years in social services and nonprofits. I never got out. And after um, you know coming back and being a single mom, I needed, you know, my daughter, middle school is a whole, like, if y'all don't know, you will yeah. know if it's you have rough. kids. It's rough. And I had this really gifted kid that was, it was like, I could clearly see.
that if I took my hands off the the reins, she you're gonna lose her. <laughs> she she and my kid was this Pied Piper, and I one her fifth grade teacher said Tyler is an amazing leader, just where she leads the kids to. Right. That's it. <laughs> might be problematic in the future because she was so smart that she she needed to entertain herself. Um, mm -hmm. And she, we later found, she just was, is a very self-directed learner. And so she was teaching, basically she'd go to class and teach herself. Um, she wouldn't pay attention in class, then she'd come home and do her homework. <laughs> and <laughs> so anyway, and one day she came home and we'd had another conversation about school performance, what have you. She went down the hall and she slammed the door. So Duana got into black mama mode real quick. And I found myself marching down the hall because I was about to literally, I'm going to rip this door off. And then I stopped because I, I had an, I, a thought hit me and I turned around and went back into the kitchen and her notebook was on the uh, counter. And I wrote down, um, something about you would be, if you could use your powers for good, imagine what the world could look like. Yeah. And then I stood there because I had this thought about a young witch who is gifted in so many ways and is really facing, how do I use this gift? Do I follow mm. my family legacy of, you know, and at that time I was really thinking about her dad's a geek, her mom's a geek. Like we took school very seriously. Yeah. And because it was so easy for her, she was just like, whatever, man, I don't, I'm not worried about it. And, and I, I wrote it down and then I ripped it out of the, her notebook and I just stood there looking at it and then I folded it up and I put it in my journal. And the one thing I've done since I was probably little is keep journals. Um, and I probably still have it stuffed somewhere, that piece of paper. But that story, that idea never left me because yeah. here was my child gifted and brilliant and in my eyes squandering her talent because she just, mm. it just wasn't for her in that moment. And so she was probably 12 um, when that incident happened and she was 22. 23 when I really I called her one day and I said you know I got this story here's where here's what it's about and I need I want to write it and the main character will be called Tyler and she was like okay mama do what you gotta do she's also very creative so she gets it and she encouraged me in 2018 to sit my butt in the chair and just write the story and so I called it Unbound and it was the first in my series, the Millennial Witch Trilogy. Wow. And it's literally about this young girl, and, and she's a 20-something at this point, who's very gifted. She's one in a million. Um, and you know, in, in that she comes from a long line of witches and her mom, her grandmother and her mother are brilliant witches, but she's destined to be the Millennial Witch to hold this power that very few witches are given. And she, as her, it doesn't come in right away. Like she's not born with it. She grow, it comes to her when she's ready. And she, so long story short, she goes on a girl's trip to Chicago with some friends. One of the friends gets kidnapped and she has to find this, this girl. And she does that, but, and, but her powers don't come in um, in the first book. Her powers come in in the second book, but the first book she's grappling, like she calls her grandmother and she's like, how do I find her? And her grandmother's like a location spell is like the easiest thing. It's something I taught you. Like, why are you not practicing your craft? So it mm. was a, a combination of, you know, my vision for my daughter, and also kind of a love letter to myself about writing. Like, why am I not practicing this craft? And so that's, I, I set my butt down and I did it. And I 
I am really, I will say this, that was my very first book. Um, and I feel like in the three years since, um, I and I, I've been told it's a pretty good story. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, I have just continued to grow and my stories have gotten even better as a writer. So I love that. Like, yeah. I just love that idea. I love like everything about it. Um, I love the place that it came from. I love the thought that you put into it. Um, and I even love the fact that you used your daughter's name because um, that that's something that she can tie to, you know, her legacy is is this thing like my mom saw this like that's that's the thing about parenthood it's always really interesting is like the way our kids see the way we see them yes and like you saw that you saw your daughter you saw the the mischief you saw the the the, the calls from the teacher and then you didn't see you know oh i have a bad kid it's like no 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 i have a great kid we just have to learn to use our powers for good. Like I just, that, that's a whole revelation to me. So thank you for that. And I'm actually going to share this with my daughter tonight. Cause I, I have four daughters. Yes. Um, when I have one daughter at Clemson um, and she loves to read. Um, and she just got a new Kindle note that she told me about when I went to see her a couple weeks ago. Yes. So I, I'll thank definitely send this to her so she can read it in my, so what, what's the age group for that you write for? So I typically write for adults. Um, the millennial witch trilogy is new or yeah, new adults, young adults. So like that 18 and up, mm -hmm. um, that first series, my second series is a little more mature. Um, and then I have a couple of shorts that are adults only. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Adult, yeah, adult fiction that that and it'll say sexy short read. So you'll mm -hmm. it's got a red banner across it. Mm -hmm. So you know that you know it may have some content that you don't want younger folks um, reading right now. Mm -hmm. And so, but my passion, my love is the supernatural, just you know, and all the nuances of that, because I really do believe that we are all gifted in some way yeah. and how we use our gifts. Um, yours is, is with talk and the work that you're doing with young black men and mentoring. Um, and so that's a gift. Like we, I've just learned in, in my years to reframe things um, and really try to find uh, the, the light in it. Yeah. And always seek the light and whatever that that is for you or looks like for you, because it will take you to the other side. And I I'm still here. So I'm proof of that. So um, so even now, like I'm working on a um, I'm so excited about this because this is kind of my first real action um, hero. Uh, she is. A day she becomes a daywalker. Her job is to protect humans from okay. magical mischief um, and supernatural um, happenstance, or you know, supernatural beings gone bad. And she ends up bitten, but because she a is from a long line of witches, but also I bring my characters back. So Tyler, um, at the end of the first trilogy. She heads the assembly, the coven um, that her family has led for generations since her ancestors were brought over as slaves. Mm -hmm. And she understands that something is coming, something that is threatening witches and the magical community. And she calls on Celine. Um, she will call on Celine to um, reconsider uh, the uh, to consider that maybe being a daywalker vampire with some magical blood is not a bad thing. Um, and so it will lead into a, a, an expansion. I'm trying to write the Marvel of black female yeah. witches and superheroes. Um, Love that. And based here in Charleston. Yeah. Our, like, I've had people say, oh my God, you write about witches. Um, that's not gonna jive, you know, Jesus and I, we don't, we don't do witches. <laughs> I literally, I actually had a woman say that to me at a at a book festival, and I said, My witches are here to make the world a better place. Yeah. And if you understand how the world works, there's evil. Whether yes. whether it's in human form or magic yeah. form, and 
just open yourself because my witches practice um, ancestral magic, like yeah. Tyler and her grand. So there's a ceremony that her family does at 16 when a witch gets their full powers, even though she was getting additional powers later, they go on the beach, they pray, they thank God and the ancestors for whatever mm -hmm. gift she's about to receive. And then they ask for wisdom and guidance in that gift and mm. the use of that gift and to make their communities a better place. And so that's the lens I'm coming from. I'm going to give you some fun. And but, you know, I talk about the gentrification of Charleston in my books. I talk about education. <laughs> like I talk about Charleston stuff. I talk about King Street, um, what was typically known as the black end of King Street. Right, no longer right. like my mother, every time I take her on King Street, I have to hear this same lecture over and over about which black store was there and where she bought her shoes and where they bought their their clothes for church and whose restaurant they could eat at. And all of these places are long gone. That's our history. Yeah. And so I want to ensure that black people and black women in particular understand that they're. Charleston story is our story. Mm. Like these folks coming here talking about they want antebellum South and, and whatnot. But those bricks that you walking on laid by black folks. That's our yeah. literal blood, sweat and tears. And we should own that. So sorry, I yeah. get a little passionate about Charleston because the I can see the pain and the like when my mother talks about her childhood on the streets of Charleston yeah. and to see it not when I drove her down meeting street and she saw all those condos. Yeah. In what was traditionally considered the hood. Yeah. Like she was like, what is happening? Yeah. And I was like, mama, this is, this is Charleston. This is what it uh, is now. This is what it is now. And so I don't want us erased from the narrative. And so to ensure that that doesn't happen, I'll write my own narrative. I'll need yours. Mm. I love that. Like every, like the, just the encapsulation of everything that you said, even like the idea of the magic and how we know that, you know, black people push back against the occult, you know, what they consider to be the occult. Um, and I remember when I was in a, I was at Trident Tech, I did a paper on um, Santeria. Mm. And oh. like, I learned so much about like the Yoruba culture and like how mm. that traces back to Africa much more than a lot of the things that we, we we follow and we believe in now. And I love the fact that you took, I mean, even as a Christian, like I, I love that you took the story of Charleston and made it a story about witches in Charleston, good witches doing, using, using their, their powers. Because again, you can be a witch, have powers and use those powers for negative, or you can use those powers for good. Like I just love the tie-in. I think it's, I think it's, it's perfect. I, th I think, it's, I think it's really good, and I think that it also allows, like you said, that empowerment piece. You look at women, black women. You know the the names that black women are called. Okay, well, how do we use that for our good? Because you've been calling us witches for a really long time. Ooh, <laughs> bro. Well, and let's talk about that. I mean, black girl magic. That term came about for a reason. Yeah, yeah. When you look at Stacey Abrams and what she did in Georgia, she galvanized. So she lost a governorship that she didn't lose it. It was stolen from her. Yeah. Instead of licking her wounds, yeah. she said, okay, I can show you better than I can tell you. And we have to Absolutely. be, we have to play the long game. We can't always, um, we can't always go for the short term. Like we've got to be thinking deep and wide about what change looks like because folks will will be happy to give us surface, knowing that all. So you can have this icing, but I got the whole cake. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yep. she she was steadfast. She was unrelenting and she was like this 
is not going to stand on my watch. Mm-hmm. And I, when, when everybody started saying black girl magic, I was part of that. I was like, yeah, but then I had to think about that. I had to sit with that for a moment because that's tied to that strong black woman um, mythology. And we have to come in. We did it in Alabama. We had to save them from, I can't even remember the dude's name, big old race. We we had to step up and galvanize. And then we did it in Georgia. We're called on to fix things. Speak on it. And once things are fixed or handled, once we Olivia Pope it, we yeah. are dismissed. Yeah, you go back to being a concubine now. Crisis. And so I was just like, I'm, yeah, I, no. Like, we need to be front and center. Our story needs to be front and center. There's room for everybody. I believe that. There is enough pie for all of us. And yeah. I'm not going to let you. Uh, make me believe that I am only destined for scraps. That's that. Mm-hmm. If that's the story you want to believe, then you go ahead and have that. Meanwhile, I, if I'm not at your table, I'll build a table. Absolutely. It's okay. Actually, I'll just sit on this bench. I don't even need a whole table. <laughs> <laughs> like, and being comfortable because once we have to be very comfortable, we as women, black women and black people mm-hmm. with saying, I don't accept your narrative. That's not me. I don't resemble anything you just said. I don't want anything you're offering. And it's okay. Like yeah. being okay with our uniqueness, our divinity, our our ish, all of our stuff. Like I yeah. just get excited about black women because we show up time and time again for everybody. Excellent. And sometimes folks don't always show up for us, but that's okay because mm-hmm. we, we still keep it moving. We still keep it yeah. going. Yeah, I so love my that. writing is a love letter to Black women. I love that, and that, that it definitely should be read. How, how's how's the reception been for for your, for your writing? So I've it's 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 kind of interesting because it was slow going at first, but I'm finding the last few books people are really picking it up, and I put the pre order up last night. It was my birthday. Oh, pre order. Yeah. Um, for the Daywalker series. And Daywalker. before I went to bed, someone had already like purchased, like clicked to buy the pre-order. And I'm like, but all you have is this little, this little <laughs> snippet. And, and so I'm excited. I really feel like there's, it's going to take on a life of its own. Um, but, you know, I'm all about talking and creating. I, I have a podcast as well with my niece. We're, we call it Technicolor intergenerational uh, conversations. She's 29. I'm 54. We're both yeah. geeks, but we come at things from similar but different perspectives because I also believe that sometimes we older generations, we pay lip service to, yeah, these kids got it, but we're not really hearing them. Yeah. And I thought, what better way? I actually tried to convince my daughter to do it. And she was like, I'm in grad school. I don't have time for your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and my niece, Brianna, was like, Auntie, I got you. And we have had the best time, like just having conversations. Um, it's like conversations over coffee of things that you would talk about with your kids. Um, yeah. You know, she's she's at this She's at the spiritual stage, like questioning the things she was taught, you know, what it is that's important to her, where she wants to go with this. We had a, we just did a show, um, we haven't released it yet, about expectations and how she's about to turn 30. And she's like, my mom wants grandkids and all the things, and I'm not even in a relationship. And what do you do with? your family's expectations and other people's expectations. And so I love just giving black women space to talk about our stuff safely, um, to kiki, um, to really have some heart to heart moments. Um, And, you know, and to write about that as well, because we're all the things. And so let's just tell our stories as well. That's all I want to do is tell great stories. 
Absolutely. I love it. Like I I, I love everything that you stand for. Um, Thank you. I, I, I really do. Like I, this has been a really good discussion. Like I'm 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 one, I'm awestruck because one, I didn't know you existed. <laughs> and like that's the cool. So that's why I love the show. So if you don't know, just a little a little behind the scenes stuff. I never talk to anybody about anything before my shows. I don't ask you questions about you. I don't look you up. I don't do anything because I really want to get to know you right here on the camera. I want it to be a genuine conversation. So like to have this and to find out that you like exist, I just awestruck, like awestruck, just all that you are and all that you represent. And I, I, like I told you, I texted my daughter. I was texting my daughter. She's in a staff meeting right now, so she can't watch. So when you watch Vardy, remember I told you she was dope. Um, but like, I, I just like, I'm going to look up Technicolor. I'm a podcast nerd. So I'm a nerd myself. So I will be listening to Technicolor. Um, I love the idea of tying, bridging that gap between the older generation and the new generation. Um, that's the one thing that I think could have been done better in the midst of this. When we talk about the unrest that happened yes. is more of the older generation that went through those i'd love to see them embrace this younger generation and guide more um yeah. i would have loved to see that um as opposed to what a lot of what happened what was you know a lot of fist shaking um yes. a lot of, you know uh you know get out you know that whole thing but I, I think that there's an opportunity to learn um so i just love that you're doing that that's why i, I that that's what came out to me is like somebody who gets it somebody who understands that we can't talk at our youth we have to talk with our youth and 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 that's just amazing well, and I will say this, if Tyler Brockington hasn't taught me anything, <laughs> it's that if she's taught me anything, it has been that if you give kids with proper supervision, but if you just li literally back up, put your hands up and say, you know what? You got this. Call me if you need help. But meanwhile, you really are like, on the yeah. peripheral, keeping yes. keeping yes. your eye on everything. <laughs> just you gotta, yeah. grabbing over. All right, <laughs> you All got right. the emergency brake on the side as <laughs> they're driving. Um, but they will blow our minds. They like will. if we just and and support it. If we give them room to be creative, to address because the thing is, she sees things that I can't see. She like she can break things down for me in a way where I'm like, oh, wow. Like I, my worldview kind of hindered my ability to see it that way until mm -hmm. you you broke it down for me. And so I love, I think that's why I'm such a talker. I love people's stories. I love, I was telling this to Tanel the other day. Like I, gen, I went into counseling because people told me I was a good listener. So I got a master's in counseling. I hate counseling. Like. <laughs> Hate it. Um, however, it is an absolutely undeniably one of the best skills I ever learned because it's made me a good manager. Mm. And but I love people's stories. Like I like you, I want to know your background. I want to know what's important to you. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what drives you nuts. Like that stuff is fascinating for me. I break that down. I want to understand, you know, how you see the world, why you see the world the way you do. And, you know, what's similar to mine, what's dissimilar. Um, it's everyone has a story that's fascinating. I have not met in my entire life one person who did not have something that just caught my attention and was like, wow, that's, yeah. like, that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. I it just reminds me of something I tell like my 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 me and my wife we talk a lot. Like I, I told you before the call, um, and uh, like I always would tell her that you know you can learn something from everybody you meet, and like everybody has one story that make you go wow, and another one everybody has also has another story that will break your heart. Like every no matter how well you may think somebody's life may be, they have that one story that will make that will break your heart and yes. we have to give people the space to be able to to recognize the power of their story and i honor you tonight for 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 doing that you know with your writing with your work in the nonprofit sector and for the many cups of coffee that i will probably call you for oh, in the do next it. 
this is this has been so I was I'm not even gonna lie because I did I like a, I didn't share with you before we started. I went and I was like, let me check out some I wanted to see your style. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I have no idea <laughs> like which direction he's gonna, you know, come. and you didn't, you were like, you know, give me a bio. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> there were no yeah. like 20 questions or here I'm going to hit you with, you know, there've been interviews where they're like, okay, well, I'm going to talk about this, this, and this. And you were just like, nah, let's do this. Nah, let's have a conversation. So the, 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 the general idea of my show is if me and you were to sit down for a cup of coffee, what would we talk about? I wouldn't come to a, a, a meeting to get a cup of coffee with a list of questions. Like that's, that's not genuine. That's, that's, that's not, you know, heartfelt. That's not, that's, that's planned. That's contrived. Yeah. And I'm not a contrived person. I really do live my life exactly like this. So if we, when we do meet for coffee, I'm going to keep saying that. Um, <laughs> <We will. laughs> uh, like that's, that's, that's who I am. That's my show is. That's why people like coming to my show. I think, I hope um, is because I'm not going to, you know, I don't, I don't do the, the, the 60 minutes questions. I'm not trying to catch somebody, even if somebody's going through a scandal. Like I've had people come to my show that were going through like big, big time scandals. And if we talked about it, we talked about it. If we didn't, we didn't. Yeah. But like, I want them to know that they had an opportunity, they had a space to be honest, they had a space to be genuine and a space to really reflect on what it is to be in this thing because like life is too short. Life Ooh. is too short. And, and if, if 2020 didn't teach us anything, um, we can be gone before you know it. And you didn't have a time to, you didn't have an opportunity to, to really tell your truth because yeah. you, you were so busy wearing this mask of this person that you want people to think you are. That. All of that. And that and that really was one of the reasons I stepped. I didn't want to die not trying my hand at writing. Like, yeah. I believe if anything, God would be like, girl, I gave you I, this. I, you didn't even try. And I'd be like, I was afraid. I so, was so busy. I was, God, busy. I was so busy. Yeah, I was so busy taking care of everybody else. I forgot to live my life. So don't do that, y'all. Don't do that. (laughs) This has been so much fun to talk about my passion. So, yo, please. So when Daywalker comes out, because I looked on the Amazon site and I did not see it. Um, So when Daywalker comes out, or when anything like, even if you just want to come on and talk, holler at me. Let's let's bring you back on, and uh, let's let's continue this because I I, one I think that when people you know do get an opportunity to to watch this, they're going to find out the amazing person behind the words, and and they'll they'll see you know. The passions that, the, and hopefully, even the people that look at it and say, "Well, you know, maybe I don't get down with witchcraft," but they'll understand the heart behind it and understand that you can't tell a book by its cover. Let's put it that way. So, mm-hmm. like, I, I just, I just love, I just, I, I love it, and I, I want to support it in any way that I can, and we will do that. Um, I definitely see s- several opportunities um, for that, but again, coffee. So, <laughs> with that being said, please let them know where they can find you. So you can find me at southerngirlmedia.com. That's like, because everything that I do will live under that. Um, And if you go on Amazon, you can find me under DM Brockington um, and just type in my name and my books should come up for you. And Twitter, Dwana and Facebook, Dwana Brockington. Um, So I'm easy to find. I'm around. And like I said, I'm I'm writing these days. So I do have time for coffee and we'll yeah, mask up it. and go sit on somebody's patio. I and... love it. I love it. <laughs> or, or I can just put on the, um, I, I have a, a, a Starbucks Zoom background. So I just turn on my, my Starbucks oh, Zoom God. background and there, we, yeah, it's, it's kind of lit. I don't have it on here. I will show you. But it's, on my okay. Zoom meeting, I, I have the different Starbucks that I meet at. So I, I need just, that in my life. <laughs> it's lit. It is so dope. All right, well, let me go ahead and wrap up. Thank you so much um, for joining thank me. You. Give me one second. I want to talk to you after I close, so don't, don't go anywhere. Um, cool. Thank you all so much for watching. This has been really, really great. I want to thank Miss Dewana Rockington for coming on and doing such a phenomenal job of telling her story and telling all the stories that she's telling throughout her book series. Please go to her Amazon site or go to her website, www.southerngirlmedia.com. Go there, check her out, buy her books. Are they available in stores? Not in stores yet. Okay, but I do see you but have Kindle Amazon. Version. Yes. yes, Amazon, right, Kindle, so definitely. Go there, buy her books. Let's make her a bestseller by the end of the week. If I had <laughs> that many viewers, I would do it. Like I would make it happen, but I don't. 
I don't have that many viewers yet. One day, one day. But I want to thank you all so much. Like, I want to thank you again for coming on. Is my music going? Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> I never can hear it. Um, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an amazing, amazing, amazing conversation. I hope y'all enjoyed watching it as much as we enjoyed doing it. Um, this, Hey, Tyler. Tyler's watching. Um, <laughs> I know who you are. You're in the book. Um, <laughs> Thank you all for watching this week. As you know, we do this every single Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. Next week, we're having groundbreaking entrepreneur, Mr. Jordan Jackson. He's coming on to talk about his journey in entrepreneurship. If you don't know, he was the youngest person to ever have his own storefront um, uh, place in the mall. Um, he's he's an amazing young man. He took some time away and now he's back and he reached out and he said, hey, I want to come on the show. So I wanted to clear some space for him. And luckily we have we actually have something to open up and next week he's coming on. So join us next week for Jordan Jackson. Um, please make sure that if you like this, if you like this interview and you like interviews of this sort, go to my website, www.realtalkrejan. Subscribe. Go to my YouTube page. Subscribe. Go to my Facebook page. Subscribe. Because I don't have millions. I have 299 subscriber at, subscribers at the, the time of this interview. Now, I have 136 episodes of just the local celebrity spotlight. That doesn't include the 120 episodes of Real Talk Live and several other platforms that I do all on there. Guess what? You too can have access to that if you go to my <laughs> YouTube page and subscribe. Um, what else? There aren't really many speaking engagements, but if you have one and you need a speaker, holla at your boy. You can go to my website, www.realtalkrejan. I love speaking to all groups, but kids, kids, kids are my chosen demographic. While I'm here, let me plug this. This Saturday, Low Country Youth Services will be having our Huddle Up to Healthy Relationships, which is talking to young people about preventing and ending teen dating violence. One in three young people in the United States of America report to have, having suffered from teen dating violence. And if only one in three are reporting it, you know we got a whole lot more that's actually going through that's not reporting it. So this Saturday, go to lowcountryyouth.org, find out more about this event. Register your child. If you, if you are an adult with, who has children, if you don't, you got kids in your life. Register and come check it out. It's going to be great. We have breakout sessions. We have speakers. We have plenaries. We're going to have great information. And we'll even have some giveaways so you can get some free stuff if you come through. Um, lastly, always remember, man, God is everything. God is everything. God is everything. And without him, we are nothing. So never forget where your help comes from. And if a man doesn't stand for something, he is bound to fall for anything. I will see y'all next week. And that's Real Talk. Peace.